Would y'all turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, as we continue our short series on the churches at the crossroads. Uh, last week we talked about Philadelphia, and in that sermon I told you about that our summer missions program, Partnership Gulf Coast, our form, or like we like to call it, PGC, uh, because Partnership Gulf Coast gets to be a long title. Uh, let me tell you what God did this week. Just a couple, just a couple of things. Uh, one of our churches that the best they'd ever done in Vacation Bible School over the 16 years that I've known them was 25 in Vacation Bible School. Had a team come in and help them with this. The first night, they had 90. The second night they had 107. The third night, they had 130. And the last two nights, and the, la- the Thursday night, they had 110. I do not know how many they had at their block party on Friday night. But it is the possibility of revolutionizing that church and its ministry. Let's praise God for that. The church... Uh, that Susie and I belong to, which is a new church start uh, in the old Robinson Road property, also had vacation Bible school uh, last week, uh, and we were able to make some inroads into a uh, an apartment community that we wanted to get into. But the biggest thing about this, and the, the last number that I had on Thursday night, is that there were seven people who came to know Jesus Christ during last week, which is a great thing, and let's praise God for that too. So God is up to some great things uh, in, our, in, our, in our association, and I hope that y'all will continue to be a part of it, that y'all will continue to pray for our program all through the summer. Uh, this is a little difficult week, getting our first, uh, you know, the first week, getting our feet back under us and everything, and uh, Friday night's block party, I wish, I, I've saved all the uh, messages that were going back and forth between me and the interns, and it was kind of crazy, and I've got to have a talk with the bounce house guy uh, tomorrow uh, on that. So pray for me in doing that. But we're going to, you know, last week we looked at the church at Philadelphia, a church that God had placed an open door to, and we talked about what God is doing here in, uh, on the Gulf Coast and the, the opportunity for First uh, Bay St. Louis to be uh, a part of, of that, and that there's an opportunity, and that God is going to uh, walk by our sides, and He's going to give us a new identity. Well, there's a very thin line between last week, the opportunity in Phil- Philadelphia, and the church at Laodicea, okay? And uh, as I preach this sermon, I'm not preaching about us or anything. I just want us to know that it doesn't take a thin line from being, from being a church in revival to a church that is in trouble. So, uh, the, Laodicea literally sat... At, at, a, at a crossroads, and because it was set at that crossroads, it was a very good church. It was a, a, a good city, a very strong city. It was a banking city, and there were several things that it was known for. And this city was, was so rich that the earthquake that devastated Philadelphia that we talked about la- last week, because these, these churches are very near each other, these towns are very near each other, the, the city... Philadelphia was devastated, Laodicea was so rich that when that de- they were devastated by that same earthquake, 
they turned down the, the REMA, the Roman Emergency Management Money, okay? They didn't need it. They rebuilt it themselves. And so here, here's, here's a church that is, is uh, a, a city that is very uh, powerful and, and very prestigious. And in some ways, the church there had taken on some of the characteristics. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as we read Revelation 3, beginning with verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Say this, I know your deeds, and you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold or cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I self to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, this morning I just pray that you will speak to us through this letter to the Laodiceans. Lord, that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction where it needs to bring conviction. Lord, that it will bring hope where it needs to bring hope. And Lord, help us all learn to be better Christians as we serve you, as we discover your message to this, to this church through the church at Laodicea. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Four points this morning. Try to keep it simple. My wife does not like to hear me preach this sermon, so that's a good thing she's not going to be here today because of this very first point. When I told her I was going to use this point, this word for the point, she said, oh, baby, don't do that. I mean, that's just not. But I can't. I cannot use anything other than this word because it doesn't work out with my other points if I don't do that. But the word is spit, okay? The word is spit, which is probably better than the word vomit, which is the way it says, I will spew you out of my mouth. That is literally what the Greek word means there. It means to vomit. So I'm going to use spit. You know, I, I, I grew to like coffee late in life. Uh, I blame it on Susie. And... Uh, but there's a couple of things that I don't do. I don't go to Starbucks and buy high-priced high coffee. And if I do happen to wind up there and I go there, I don't get the, the half mocha light, whatever, you know, uh, latte, whatever. I just get coffee, okay? I just believe in coffee, okay? Or I go to McDonald's, and I don't want to get McDonald's coffee because I've actually stopped in Wiggins and got a cup of coffee, drove all the way almost to, to uh, uh, state line with that cup of coffee, and it was still too hot to drink, okay, after an hour and a half, okay? It's hot coffee. No one serves lukewarm coffee. But here, 
and, and have you ever had a lukewarm coffee? Have you ever, I, I'm, I get up in the morning and, and I, I, I like to read the news online and I'll get me a cup of coffee and I, have a, and I sit there at the computer and I'll sit there and I'll get there and I, I'll start reading the, the, the uh, comic strips and I'll get involved with that and I do a little jigsaw puzzle on, online and I'm working that and I go, mm, I want a cup. And I, I don't realize how long I've been away from that cup of coffee and I go, mm, I need some place to put it, Okay. I understand what Jesus was trying to say. I like hot coffee. Some of you like iced coffee. I don't care for that either. But we need to have it at one extreme. Jesus said, I don't want lukewarm Christians. We don't want lukewarm coffee. We don't want lukewarm tea. And when we get it in our mouths, we want to do something with it. And that's what Jesus said. When I taste you, I want to just spew you out of my mouth. What does it mean that to be neither hot nor cold? It means that they were not earnest for God. They were indifferent to God. Well, you know, that's just one of those things. You know, we go to church. Last week we talked about churches become just a tick on the clock. And, that, and we still approach it that way, you know. Hey, if we go to church, that's great. If we don't go to church, that's great too. You know, my, if my heart's right, that, that, that's good, you know. And, you know, we, we, have, we have people, you ever, if you, if you watch this, my daddy always said if, if he watched church, and I got to doing that too, there are cycles in church. You got your first and third Sunday people, and you got your second and fourth Sunday people, and every once in a while you'll have a house full at church. It's because they got their dates mixed up. You know, we got other things that we need to do, and we don't make that, that priority of, of going to church, of, of, of attending th- those meetings. They're just kind of nominal, and kind of complacent in what they were doing. If you really want to know what it is, it's playing at church. And I want to tell you folks, not only in this association, but all over the state of Mississippi... And even in the parts of Louisiana where I've served, there are churches that do nothing but play at church. We got all the programs, we got all the you know the things. We got Sunday school, we got discipleship training. We meet on Wednesday nights. We're going to have vacation Bible school. We got all the right things. We take an offering. We give to the cooperative program. We give to the association. You know, but there's nothing going on there. A church, that, church that's been there for 30 or 40 years has not made a mark in the community. We as Southern Baptists have not kept up with the population growth of the United States, even the percentage-wise. Our baptisms are going down every year. The baptisms in this association is going down every year. It's because we play at church. It's just so easy to get complacent and nominal. Okay, it's Sunday morning. We've got to get ready. We've got to, we've got to be there in time. Uh, I'm going to the 8, uh, the eight o'clock service. Okay, if we, if we drag in at 8.15, that's okay. You know, and then we're going to go, we're going to, go to, to uh, Sunday school. And then we're through. See you next week. All right, I'm going to get here for Sunday school. And uh, let's hope that Dion gets through by 11.30 so that we can get to the Mexican restaurants or any of the other places for to eat before everybody else does. See you next week. Going to show up when we need to. Go ahead and give our money. 
when we live like that, when we practice that like that, it disgusts our Lord Jesus Christ enough that he wants to spew us out of their mouth. It is a nasty taste to him. He cannot stand that. And he wants to, to just spew us out. You ever had something that you put in your mouth and you just, you just went, <clears throat> because it was so bad? You just had to get rid of it? That's the way nominal Christianity tastes to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave his entire life while he was alive for us, to show us how to live. He gave his physical life to die on the cross so that we could live for him forever. He wants the same sacrifice from us to as, because we love him and because what we have is so important to us that we want to tell others about that. But we worry about what's wrong, what, how's it going to affect us, is it going to be comfortable for me, is it going to be convenient for me, and not whether it's going to make a mark in the kingdom of God so people can be saved. That's what it's all about. And Jesus says, I want you to either just stop doing anything, or I want you to be on fire and hot for me. The church at Laodicea were playing at church. They thought they were all right. Christ said, you know, they, they said, we're, we're fine. We're good. Looked around. You know, they had a nice building. Everything. You know, we got plenty of money. We got good businesses. Good economic situation where we are. They thought they were all right. But Christ said, you are really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know why? Because they didn't have a real purpose in their lives. As Christians, the real purpose in our life is to be the vehicle of the gospel into the world. Not just sitting around, holding a job, having a family, paying a mortgage, and paying our taxes. All of that is a means to the end of us telling people about Jesus Christ. And about, <clears throat> pardon me, about our churches doing the things that we need to do to make a dramatic difference in our communities where we are. The wording there that says, I am rich and have become wealthy, seems to indicate that the church thought that they were all right spiritually, and they were prideful where they were. They saw themselves as a success by their own power. Now, coffee can go cold. Coffee can go lukewarm. But you know what? We have these wonderful things called microwaves. Now, this drives my wife nuts. We can come in in the afternoon. We made coffee in the morning. We all go to work. We come back in the afternoon. I've got a cup. I want a cup of coffee. Coffee pot's still sitting there. I said, I want a cup of coffee. She said, I don't know. I said, I don't. I said, well, that's okay. I'm not going to make new. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to warm it up. And I'll get that coffee and I'll put it in the microwave and about about a minute and a half, and it's hot as McDonald's coffee. And I'll sip on it. And she goes, I can't stand that. I can't tell the difference. I like my coffee strong. There is a chance for us. There is a chance for us to become hot again for Jesus Christ. Just and just as the uh the Laodiceans have an opportunity to get hot again. 
Our second point, after he wants to spit us out of his mouth, he wants to outfit us. Outfit us. He says to buy from him gold that has been refined by fire. Unrefined gold has, still has a lot of the, the other rocks in it. And you take that and, and, you, and you heat it up. And the gold sinks to the bottom. And all the imperfections rises to the top. And a goldsmith will then take that and will wipe all those imperfections away. But the only way to get it out of there is to melt the gold. To, to get it so that it is pure that is there. This church had not had any persecution. You know, last week we talked about the church of Philadelphia was having trouble. They were having trouble because of the Jews. They were causing, having trouble by, caused by people who should know better. Here, the church wasn't having any problems. You know why they weren't having any problems? They weren't stirring up anything. If, 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 if the church just quits being the church... Then you won't have all the uproar and, and, and everything about Christians and Christianity anymore. But that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to cause that uproar. But there was no persecution from the Romans or from the Jews. There were no false teachers as you find in the other, in the other uh, <clears throat> churches that are mentioned here in chapter 2 and chapter 3. They needed to be refined. They needed to get out the impurities. He said... You need to change your garments. You need to put on the, 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 the white garment of righteousness. Laodicea was also known for the, the sheep that, that were raised there. It was a particular time they were black sheep. And they had a, a wool that was very valuable there. And so they had all of these, these fine robes. And you can just see folks coming to church in their finest. You know, they even wore a tie on Sunday morning, you know. You know, they had, they, 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 everything looked nice with, you know, and they, they worried about how they looked and, and how, how, how uh, everybody else saw them. The, these garments were very expensive. And so they were the garments of the wealthy. And he said, take off that garment of self-satisfaction and put on the white garment of, rain, uh, of righteousness. He wanted to see a difference in their lives. There was a change in their attitude from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. He also says, get eye salve. There was a famous medical school in Laodicea that was famous for what? The Phrygian powder. And you'd take it and mix it up and you would put it on, your, on their eyes to, 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 to cure whatever was, was, was going on there. And, and, and Jesus says, look, you got a problem with your eyes. You can't see clearly what I'm asking you to do. You can't see clearly that you're not serving me. And I want you to put this stuff on your eyes so it will clear it up so that you can see what I want you to do. I need you to change your attitude. I need you to become Hot for me. I don't want you to be lukewarm or complacent. I want you to be passionate and on fire for me. Jesus said, I don't like you the way you are. I'm going to spit you out. But I want you to change the way that you are. I want you to outfit yourself. I want you to change the, the way you are. He also told them, not only should they, would they be spit, that they should get a new outfit... But they needed to quit some things. Christ now tells them to repent. 
Go down there. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Quit doing what you want and what you think is right. Last week we talked about repent, and it meant to turn your back on something. If that piano, that black piano, which is great because that represents sin, okay? No, 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 no problem intended there, Gail. But we want to turn our back on a sin. And that's what Jesus said. Turn your back on your sin. Turn your back on your self-righteousness. Turn your back on your complacency and playing at church. And doing what you think is right. He says, I want you to become zealous. I want you to catch fire. I want you to stop being indifferent and lethargic in my ministry. And he says, if they don't, they will be disciplined. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Even if they repent, there still may be some discipline. Because, folks, once we get things in motion, even if we repent... We sometimes have to pay the consequences for our sin. And there still may be problems that come along. You can repent of having sex outside of marriage, but that won't make that baby that has been conceived out of wedlock go away. You can repent from drinking and driving, but that does not bring back the dead family that was your driving caused to die. There are consequences that are there. So there still may be some discipline that will come. Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Now, many times we've used this passage of Scripture to talk about salvation. As we talk to, to a new person that Jesus is standing there and knocking and open the door and he'll come in and, and be saved. But that is not the context for this. Jesus, at one time, was in that church. That church, at one time, obviously was passionate and on fire and zealous for Jesus Christ. But some, somehow, he was now outside. Any of you watch Big Bang? You know Sheldon, when he knocks on a door? I love that. He goes, penny, 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 penny. That's what Jesus is saying. Laodiceans, Laodiceans, First Baptist Church Bay St. Louis, First Baptist Church Bay St. Louis, Walter, Walter, Jack, Gail. He's standing on the door and he's knocking. It's a persistent knocking. And if the church will open the door, if we as Christians will open our hearts back up, he will come in and he will heat us up again. And he will make us that passionate, zealous person that we need to be to move his kingdom forward. He'll rebuild that relationship that is there. If we remain lukewarm, he will spit. He offers us the opportunity to change by outfitting ourselves. He asks us, he tells us to repent, to quit doing what we're doing. But then finally, he asks us and says, if you do all of this, then you can sit. God is going to, God did Discipline the church at Laodicea. 
I believe that some of what we see today going on in society as it's as the anger of society and culture is directed at the church, I believe that we're seeing the beginnings of some di discipline on us as, a, as, as a, the church as a whole, as being lethargic and indifferent. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves, as a father, the son, just as a father the son He delights in. We all disciplined our children. Why did we discipline our children? Because we didn't want them to become bad people. You know, I, 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 was, I, was, I was blessed. I had two really good kids. Never had to bail them out of jail. Uh, never had any trouble with them. Uh, didn't take but one time, and Daddy just clouding up and raining all over them about... Uh, that they needed to be home by curfew, or at least Daddy needed to know where they were. That worked out real fine. But you know why that came? Because from the time that they were small, when they did something that was disobedient, they did something that was wrong, we disciplined them. God's going to do the same thing to us. God loves us. He loves us that he gave enough that He gave His Son for us, and now we're his children, and we need to not think that he is not going to discipline us when we're disobedient. And so he is going to, he, he's going to chasten us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without the discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate child and not sons. You know what that says there? If you're playing at church, but you're not having any discipline, God's not trying to get your attention in some way, <laughs> you may not be a child of God. That may be why you're indifferent about the things of Christ. Because you've never had that life-changing experience where He comes in and indwells you and changes your life, changes your heart, changes your mind, changes your goals, and gets you fired up about telling other people about Jesus Christ. If you don't have discipline in your life, you may not be His. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the, fruitful, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In this passage of Scripture, if you look at that, verse 21, he says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Let me show you something right here. I, didn't, I did not notice this the first time that I read this passage of Scripture, but in, in getting ready for today, I, I noticed this. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit, uh, grant to him to sit down with me on the throne, as I also overcame. Let us not forget that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived here 33 years, and dealt with everything that we're having to deal with. 
with all the same temptations, with all the same problems. He dealt with them and was victorious over them. He overcame them. So he knows what it's like for us to go through this and to be tempted to just go, okay, I can sit back. I'm 65 years old. I've retired from my job. Not, I'm not 65. I'm only 60. I'm not retired. But I've heard this. I'm 65 years old. I've retired from my job. I'm retiring from Sunday, teaching Sunday school. I'm retiring from the WMU. I'm retiring from men's ministry. I'm retiring from the choir. We don't ever retire in God's business. We don't stop. We don't stop serving the Lord. And he says, to him who overcomes, it, what does it say there? It says, when, if, you, if you realize the condition of your heart and you become zealous in the work and repent of all those problems and deal with the difficulties that have, that have come, Jesus will give you a place of honor. And he will give you a place of honor. I don't, I, the, this is something else I didn't notice the first time I looked at this. It's not give you a place of honor in the throne room. Because, you know, we, we've all watched all these uh, movies and television shows about uh, medieval court, courts, you know, and you've got people who stand right there by, by, behind the king and around the side and other people. And, if, and if the, the thing was is if you could get to be in the court of the king, you're, you're all right. But Jesus said right here, I'm going to give you the same reward that my father gave me because I overcame. He said, I could sit with him on his throne. And Jesus said, you're not going to sit around the throne. You're going to sit with me on the throne. Man, can you imagine? Think about how excited. You ever been to a restaurant and look over there and there's somebody who's famous? You ever done that? You know? Uh, Brother Steve said the other day, he said, said uh, they, he was driving back and forth to Homa and, and was out there someplace on a country road. He's a little gas station and he pulled up to get gas and he got out and he looked and John Goodman standing on the, at the vehicle on the other side. You know, you know big John Goodman, played Rose, Roseanne Barr's husband uh, on that, several other things. You know, it was really exciting. You know, and I've met famous people like that. And what do you do when, you, when you're near somebody like that? <laughs> you go, well, now we do this. We pull out our phones. <laughs> and we sit out. Look who was sitting behind me in the restaurant. Look who was at this, you know, here at this thing. Can you imagine? God is going to, Jesus is going to let us sit on the throne with him. Wow, that's great. I got chill bumps. That's what he's going to, if we would just do what he says for us. Folks, we need to realize that if we are neither hot nor cold, he's going to spit us out of his mouth. He can't stand that. But he gives us the opportunity to change. That we can we can get rid of the self-righteous garments that we have and wear the white garment of righteousness, the living, right, right living, following what He wants us to do. He wants us to, to buy gold that has been tried and is not false gold, but is true, valuable gold. 
He wants us to, to fix whatever is physically wrong with us to help us see, or spiritually wrong with us to help us see with spiritual eyes what's wrong with us. He wants us to quit playing at church. He wants us to quit being indifferent. He wants us to quit being lethargic in his work and to do what he wants us to do. And we go back to the Great Commission. Words that Jesus said. I was listening to a radio guy today. He says, if you want to know what to do, just read the red words in the Bible. You know, he's right. And two verses. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And he says, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the, the world. We are to go. And a church that is not actively going and trying to change its community and its world is a church that Jesus may be about to spit out of its mouth. What about you as a Christian? Are you as hot for Jesus as you need to be? Is what you do in the Christian life become just a ho-hum, lethargic, run-of-the-mill kind of life? God has exciting things out there. I'm, Susie and I have got involved in, this, in this, uh, this new church start. It is the greatest thing we've ever done. I wish I had done it earlier. It is, it is just, it, as Susie says, I've never started a church from the ground up before. <laughs> you know, neither have I. And it's exciting to see what God is doing. Y'all have had... Brian Schoolcraft come and talk from Vidalia Community Mission over there. Here's a guy that's on fire for Jesus. And because he's on fire for Jesus, you've heard his testimony, how God would do things. Let me tell you from, from my side of it, I got plumb scared of telling him. I did not want to tell Brian Schoolcraft no because I was afraid God was going to go and discipline me because God was doing something because Brian was zealous and excited about what he was doing and God was a blessing. Folks, that's the way we need to live our Christian lives today. You may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You don't have the opportunity to even be in the presence of God when all of this is over and you will spend eternity in hell because you're separated from God. Realize that you're a sinner. Realize that there's no way that you could ever become uh, good enough for God to accept you into heaven. And when you realize that you're a sinner, you have to repent. You have to turn your back on your sins. You have to say, I'm sorry for my sins, and I don't want to do those anymore. God, I want to follow you. I want to be hot for you. And then, in your heart, whether out loud or in your mind or in your heart, you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life, and he will. This morning at our time of invitation, if that's you, I'm going to, I want to invite you to come and uh, take uh, Corey or James by the hand 
and say, I want to know how to be saved. And they'll be glad to tell you. Christian, if you're here this morning and you're not as hot as you need to be, this altar is open to come and, and, and bear your face before God and say, God, I want to be hot again. I want to be excited for you.